HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. And this is A Taste of the Past, where we take you on a journey of culinary history on the Heritage Radio Network. And I'd l- I forgot to mention last time, but I want to remind everybody that we now have um, a section on all of our shows where you can leave comments. So if you have something to add or a question or just want to tell us how much you enjoy listening to us, you can do so in the comment portion on online. And today we are sponsored by Dixon's Farm Stand Meats, Dixon's Farm Stand Meats in Chelsea Market, where you can get incredible cuts of meats and know where they came from and meet the guys who cut them up and will tell you how to cook them too. So it's Dixon's Farm Stand Meats in Chelsea Market. Today we're going to talk about the history of cooking on television and and I guess the phenomenal growth of food as entertainment, as somebody once um, billed it. And my guest is Kathleen Collins. Kathleen, welcome. Thanks, Linda. Great to be here. Kathleen is a librarian and a pop culture journalist. And uh, about a year ago, she wrote a book called Watching What We Eat, The Evolution of Television Cooking Shows. And I have to say that I had a particular interest in in reading your book, um, as having been on in the early crew of getting the Food Network up and running right. and one of the uh, first produ- producers. And um, it's just amazing how you chronicled everything that happened much earlier than people would imagine. Right. I mean, we think of, of you know food on television as being, of course, Julia Child mm-hmm. and then the Food Network. But you take us back as far as the 1940s. Yeah, it's, it's of course, when you immerse yourself in something, as I did in this research, you get very... Um, self-centered and when you talk to people about the history of cooking shows and they say oh yeah julia child i say she wasn't the first one don't you know anything (laughs) and you we do have to go way back um not not even just to the beginning of television but cooking broadcasting on radio cooking instruction on radio so i go here we have come i know full circle i know radio radio shall never die but yeah that so the book is about television but of course i mention the radio stirrings, as I call them. 
Well, so in in what you found out, I mean, how did you go about researching this, first of all? How did you find out about early television and who was on doing cooking shows? Um, a combination of um, popular, different kinds of popular sources, um, you know, old newspaper articles. I would just look for television reviews and variety, you know, the publication Mm -hmm. variety, Um, all kinds of books. I just scanned everything I possibly could, all kinds of books and newspapers and magazines. And then um, eventually had to venture into the archives. I looked at the Julia Child papers, Dione Lucas papers at the Schlesinger Library. A lot of people don't realize Dione Lucas, she was one of the early the first person to have a, a regular television or yeah. Was she the first? Yeah, yeah yeah she was because actually her show began in 1947 just a year mm. after James Beard in 1946 but short-lived <laughs> yeah very short-lived um but I but part of the research involved I mean huge amount of my effort was in looking to see what videos I could actually find of these old shows because when I tell people about this book they say oh you must have gotten to see some really cool things some really interesting old videos well unfortunately no I didn't get to see many because they just didn't survive or they never existed they were shot live and there was there was was no remnant Mm. Um, of course there are some remnants and I did get to see some and they were really cool they were just fascinating to watch but what uh, form I mean what format were they in did they had they been transferred to a modern format um, some uh, you know the UCLA film and television archive has a, a pretty good selection and they have to they transfer things to digital so that mm-hmm. people can access and watch them. So that's the format that I saw them at, at um, the Schlesinger Library at Radcliffe. There was some Dione Lucas um, video, or they may even have been beta beta tapes. I don't know. So a lot of the stuff isn't was never transferred, is lost forever. So there's very little to see, and I had to rely a lot on text and verbal memories. Well, you did a great job. Um, so... What was your impression about the, I mean, first of all, how was it received? How did you, what was your impression of how cooking on television was received? From the beginning, you mean? Yeah. Well, I mean, radio, World War II, it was a real, yeah. it was radio. I mean, they, they right. were that was received very well. People were writing recipes down from that, you mentioned, right? Yeah, they, they well, most of these programs were broadcast during the day and were targeted towards women um, because they were the consumers and they were the homemakers and Um, During the war, they were the only ones there Hmm. taking care of everything. So a lot of it was just really important information people were sharing with each other about how to make do on very little, um, how to work with your ration stamps, you know, things like that. And, of course, sharing recipes was always a big part of it. And that um, kind of information sort of got transferred to television, too, although it was revolving around sponsorships. And these programs would be sponsored by um, you know, the uh, appliance companies and the flower companies. So they were really much more commercial and focused on, you know, making making something that was kind of attractive to homemakers to watch. But well, also- I, know, yeah, I noticed because I, I have um, some of, well, a, a mutual friend of ours, my um, former employer, Joe Langan, mm-hmm. we'll get on to that about the Food Network, but he put together um, a loop of some, of the early Dione Lucas mm-hmm. um, films. And it, it's interesting how, talk about product placement. I know. 
<laughs> she'd be cooking a pan and say, yes, and if you use this rivalware pan, you mm-hmm. can make a good omelet. I mean, yeah. it was all about the product. It was all about it. I mean, that's that's what that was the purpose of it, really. And it's the idea was, oh, let's help homemakers and give them tips and give them something to watch during the day. But really, it was about selling these products. And and she was great. I mean, her personality was unmatched. She She just was... She had a very dry sense of humor. She was an excellent cook, and she would sort of work these product placement things into her demonstration in what I consider to be a very humorous way. Mm-hmm. You know, she, she had a very, yeah, very dry sense of humor. She was like a drill sergeant. Yeah, right? yeah, she was very, very precise, and yet her whole mo was about making cooking an art. That she said, my you know my my spatula is my palate or or whatever her famous quote was, which I forget now. But she it was all about making homemakers feel like like they were um, expressing themselves through cooking, which she considered to be a fine art. And she had a relatively long run on television. Yeah. How long did she stay? Um, with some stops and starts, it was about a decade. Wow. So yeah, that's very long. I mean, that's even yeah. long now. Yeah, and put it in terms of today's shows like Friends and and yeah. popular you know uh, TV sitcoms. That's all. That's a good run. Yeah, yeah. She and of course it wasn't a whole lot else on television. There was <laughs> right, and and her show um, was on during prime time. Actually, um, it was on in the evenings. You know, so so even more phenomenal. Even more phenomenal. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There were lots of other um, homemaking shows on during the day during that same time period but hers was on during but prime time those from what i have read were more about um as you said homemaking Definitely. um showing up new the new thing in appliances yeah. and you know that we would just got the country had just gotten into the industrial you know really yeah. heavy into the industrial revolution right as far as how it took over homemaking right yeah. and and those shows really were um legion all over the country local stations would make these would get their local home economist or just some lady <laughs> to deliver this information um, and sell some products, mm-hmm. you know. But but definitely there was something people were getting from it as well. The viewers were getting some information about homemaking tips. And they weren't all purely cooking shows, but all sorts of things related to house- housekeeping and child rearing. Well, I was... Um it's interesting because going back to James Beard, who came before Dione Lucas, mm-hmm. um, now he he appeared on a lot of different shows, but when he tried to have his own show, it didn't really last too long. No. And I, well, do you think that, I mean, and he was such, you know, other foodies of that time flocked to him. Mm-hmm. He was such an inspiration and, and an incredible cook and really um, helped codify a lot of Americana dishes. Mm-hmm. Was it? Do you think that his enthusiasm and his voice just didn't transfer to the medium of television? I, or I, that's what I, that is what I've heard from people mm-hmm. who knew him, and what I've read about him is that he was had an extremely charismatic personality mm-hmm. in real life, and by the time he was on television, which was 1946, he was quite well known, and he had written several cookbooks. And maybe didn't have the reputation he ended up with as the dean of American cookery, right. but he was on his way. So it seemed like an obvious choice. And NBC, somebody at NBC said, let's get Beard in here and do a TV show. And um didn't really work. He yeah. just, he just, something about him on television was stiff and and not very, not the real charming James Beard that people knew. And it didn't. It it just didn't work. It it was a the show probably didn't end simply because he wasn't great on TV, but 
I don't know, sponsorship reasons. Um, well, he too was all about the product and oh, the sponsor. Yeah. I mean, shamelessly. If, right. I mean, mm-hmm. if it was Borden's milk product, <laughs> everything was about yeah. Borden's that day. Yeah. I mean, the right. whole recipe. And, and, and his show was called. Elsie presents James Beard in I Love to Eat. <laughs> Elsie, mean, Elsie being, for those who don't know, Elsie was Borden's um, mascot, if you right, will. Right, uh, Elsie, Elsie the, the cow. cow right. right. And, you know, what a great title, I Love to Eat, um, buried within that uh, commercial title. And he did. And he did love to eat. But the, but the, um, the funny thing about his show is that he really, he is more like the kind of TV cooking show host that we see today because of his personality. I mean, granted, it didn't work on TV, but he was a personality. And he um, wanted to share his love of food and cooking, which was not what those other shows on in the 40s and 50s were like. They mm-hmm. were they were dry, um, it was kind of medicinal and prescriptive. And he was much more passionate about food. And that just that really didn't fly then. The other thing was that he was on 1946. Remember how many people had TVs? That's right. About three. Yeah. And and the TVs that did exist in the U.S. were really out in in the public sphere, like in bars. So men were watching. They weren't going to watch. They weren't going <laughs> they, to watch. They, they actually did watch yeah, his show and because it was on... Um, before the Friday night fights. Oh, well. So they were a captive audience. <laughs> and he said he got a bunch of fan letters from guys who liked it. But oh. I don't know what they did with the information. They probably just thought, I mean, TV was such a novelty. To Anything on the TV would have been Inter- fun entertain- to watch. Yeah, entertainment, <laughs> right. And well, then we move up to the 60s and boomed onto mm. our sets was Julia Child. Yeah. And, in, in you know, I, as I say in the book, some people think that she's the first television cooking show host, and that's factually incorrect, but in many ways she was the first of what we know as television cooking shows. Right. Because, it, you know, as you well know, it's, it's so much about personality, and that's what Julia was. She just, her personality was huge. And yet her show was not, um, the concept was not created because, oh, Julia Child's such a great personality. Let's make a show around her. It was really more about the content. Let's, right. te- let's teach people well, how people to cook French really, food. People really didn't know about her. She right. was not yet the big personality. She right. was, the t- TV made her famous. Absolutely. Her, you know, she was, as you say, it was about content. And mm-hmm. then people got to know her personality. And, right. You know, you say it was all about content. And what was so wonderful about her and her shows was this certain sense of irreverence towards food. She <laughs> loved it. Food was magical. It was true. But, you know, just make it happen. Mm-hmm. Make it do it your way. If mm-hmm. it doesn't work out right, turn it into something mm-hmm. else. You know, she was, she really had a sense of, you know, like, touch it, feel it, and do right. it, right? Right, right. Very different from anyone that came before her. And, and so she fit in... Um, with the times in a way, because people were getting more in touch with themselves and um, that and being able to turn a recipe on its head or take something that your mother taught you and do it a little bit differently was really jiving with how people were thinking. Well, we're going to see where this takes us after we take a short break and we'll see where Julia Child led us on in TV. There's nothing else to eat 
Hey, welcome back. This is A Taste of the Past. We're talking with Kathleen Collins about the history of cooking tele- cooking shows on television. And Kathleen, you had brought us, we'd gotten as far as Julia Child um, in kind of in quick succession. We have so much to talk about today. <laughs> what? Where did we go from there? Well, a couple people that I highlight in the book um, are not so famous. And the one that appeared also in the 1960s, along with Julia Child, almost literally, was Joyce Chen. And she had a show called Joyce Chen Cooks. She was really the first Asian person that we saw on cooking television. Mm. Um, And she did, not surprisingly, she taught Chinese cooking. And she actually shared the same set as Julia Child. She was probably about half the height of Julia Child, and she had to wear high heels to make the set work for her. So she was an important figure and, you know, not really um, remembered in the collective memory. Well, I mean, except that she did continue to publish um, some wonderful books. And then she put out a line of cookware. Yes, all kinds of. still, I have lots of her stuff. And her food product line is still... um, in good business. But it's funny because she just, as in terms of translating, once again, we talk about, you know, does what translates to TV. And right. She just didn't, I mean, look, not all books make good movies. Right. I mean, she, it just didn't work on right, TV. Right, right, right. I mean, she was very charming. Um, another person who is is hardly remembered at all is La Diva Davis. Mm-hmm. She was in the 70s. Um, and she was an African-American woman in Philadelphia. She was, she's a school teacher teaching dance. And she was discovered when she took her dance students to, to WHYY in Philadelphia. And somebody, some producer said, will you do a cooking show? And she said yes. <laughs> and that's how it happened. Oh. And she was extremely charming, really funny. And this was in 1975. There was a recession going on. So her show was centered around how to save money. And it was on public television. You know, why that show only lasted a year, you know, there's a million factors, as you know, that go into these things. It, it well, was, and being on public television, a, a big one could have been sponsorship. Sure. You know, you need sponsors to, right. to keep the show on the air. So. And we shouldn't forget, I skipped right over, one of the most important figures is Galloping Gore. Oh, <laughs> Graham Kerr started in the in the United States. We st- saw him in '69, and his show was only on the air, you know, first run in for two years in the mm. United States. But look how he's remembered in the collective memory. That's right. So it just it goes to show you it's it's so much about um, what they bring at the right time, and also his show was thanks to his producer wife Trina. And his own charming personality was about entertainment. It, it really was, yeah. If that in was fact, the goal. people didn't even think that he was a serious cook. Right. And he was criticized by other serious cooks um, because he was making light of their profession. But he really was a trained cook, and he was very talented. And it sort of bothered him that he was seen that way. But, you know, the show was doing really well. So, But, well, he knew he knew how to make it work on television. Mm-hmm. He knew what television was all about. Right. And it was an right. entertainment. Yeah, yeah, they both did that. They they had the production values down. Well, and, and then in, I guess, the next big important figure probably before – we got into all our our celebrity chefs mm-hmm. was probably the frugal gourmet. Yeah, yeah, that's who my mind skips to next as well. In the next decade, in the eighties, and again, public television. But he was the the one of the most popular cookbook authors. Um, one of the best, um, most watched public TV cooking shows ever, and his show was really. In the middle of the 1980s, with all the glitz and excess and dining and celebrity chefs, he was a little bit of um, outside of that in a way because he liked to focus on 
ethnic cuisines, like true ethnic cuisines of, you know, Africa and, and all different kinds of places that we would never be seeing on commercial television. Right. And, uh, you know, he, he brought something new to television and also had an extremely charming personality. I mean, a lot of people didn't like him, and of course his career ended in yeah, scandal. Unfortunately, right. Um, but, he, but he was really, um, he was very good on television. He was, he was charming and funny. He was just on all the time. Well, that, at, in quick succession, we did see a lot of other cooking shows come and go or um, demonstrations on mm-hmm. the news programs. Right. It was really taking root. And right. that brings us, I don't want to give short shrift to anyone, but it brings <laughs> us to the real big beginnings, mm-hmm. which were close to, are close to my heart. Mm-hmm. And that is the TV Food Network. Right. As it was, well, TVFN, TV Food right, Network, right. as it was called in the start. Yeah. Um, and you did some, some good research on that to find out how that got well, going. Well, thankfully, I met some, somebody tipped me off to Joe Langan, as you mentioned earlier and you know he is he was really the guy who came up with the idea and he he got the whole thing started he's still in the business yeah he is um, on, on to the next he's on to the yeah, next move internet, yeah. internet cooking right? yeah internet, exactly uh, video yeah so that so as you know it started out um you know some shaky legs there it's not at oh, all yeah. it's not at all what we see today which is you know the television um, cooking show industrial complex, <laughs> but it but there were there were lots of different sort of stops and starts along the way, and mm-hmm. I guess they started out showing old cooking show videos. Well, it, in between, there were some original programming, and then um, other you know, we weren't able to fill all the hours sure. with that with um, original programming. So we in fact showed um, some old Dione Lucas. Mm-hmm. Uh, films from her shows and Julia Child. Mm-hmm. And we um, Joe managed to, um, I guess, finagle the rights to some of those mm-hmm. old videos, and they were cut to fit the the TV form um, uh, Food Network's half hour format with commercial right. breaks, and and those were shown on the air as mm-hmm. well. But it's interesting because during that time, well, after the first few years, it was 1993 when things got form, you know, kind of formulated, went on in trial periods in '93, and then really. You know, went on the air in in a lot of markets in ninety four, nineteen ninety four. So, um, and some of us who worked there in the early days said, "Oh my God, did we? We sort of felt bad. Did we create a monster with because <laughs> chefs were becoming these big celebrities, yeah, right?" But you know, the, the public we didn't create them. They were <laughs> they were they who they were, and and the public was ready for them. Right, I guess, exactly. You know? I mean, that's the that's like anything in the history of of this genre is things happened big because they happened at the right time and the convergence of all these different elements and the there really was a slow simmer for this thing to be on television people were you know because of rest the ascendancy of restaurants right. and chefs in the 80s people were becoming more knowledgeable and more interested and, in and chefs were becoming celebrities in their own right it used Definitely. to be the restaurateur you know, you'd go or you'd walk into the restaurant and the owner would greet you and everyone knew the owner right. of the restaurant and he was the big celebrity right and the chef stayed you know in a la french fashion the mm. chef stayed behind the stove mm-hmm. and nobody knew the chef mm-hmm. that all started to change mm-hmm. and and celebrity chefs you know started to emerge they started to emerge from behind the stove right. and would come out into the dining room and talk to people right so it was natural they would go on television. yeah sure i mean i think wolfgang puck is probably the um 
one of the faces of the celebrity yes. chef, one of the early ones that people knew, oh, that's who's doing the cooking and what is he up to these days? And he would set trends. That's right. And that was in the 80s. So there was a lot of that coming out of the woodwork. And by the time TVFN came on, you're right, they were just ready. Right. And then it just, you know, it's celebrity chef definition has changed dramatically. It has. Mm-hmm. And, and the um, it's interesting. So have the demographics mm-hmm. of who was watching. As you say, a lot of the shows were geared to the homemakers right. and women in particular. And boy, people found out very quickly with uh, the rise of Emerald that the, mm-hmm. you know, the, a large portion of the of the viewership were men. Mm-hmm. Right. And so now we see um, the kinds of shows that are on really try to bring in everybody. The, the, a lot of the faces that you see on the primetime shows are men, mm-hmm. and I don't think that's an accident. Mm-hmm. There's you know, the, that dream target demographic of um, young males is what they're going for, and I think it's successful. Yeah, I would imagine so. But you, you talk about, I mean, the title of your book is, um, the subtitle is The Evolution of mm-hmm. Television Cooking Shows. And you look at the evolution of the Food Network. Mm-hmm. It went from almost as they, I hate what they call it, but the dump and stir, you right. know, the, mm-hmm. the instructional um, content-driven mm-hmm. programming, and then to the more purely entertainment type, mm-hmm. like Iron Chef right. and, and some of those purely entertainment type varieties. Right. Um, now, where do you think they're headed now? Um, well, I think that the entertainment shows are so popular, mm-hmm. so much so that they're replicated on other networks, too, other cable networks, and you see, you know, Hell's Kitchen on Fox and everything. So that's not going anywhere, but... And, and then, of course, during the daytime, people still say, well, the daytime is dump and stir. Yeah. We see more instructional program during the day. Those are more sort of a little bit more old school. Right. Um, but I think that I, I, I've heard a lot of people sort of crying out for, well, I want more instruction. More content, I want it right. to be like it used to be yeah. when I really learned something from the Food Network. Well, it used to, we used to sort of have that, that mantra, I mean, like they had to have some... What was the takeaway value? Mm-hmm. You had to walk away. You know, people love. Why do they love talk radio? We hope you love talk radio. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's because you know you you gain something. You gain right. a little bit of knowledge. You learn something you didn't know before, right. and that was what these cooking shows we hoped gave them right. was something they didn't know before. Right. Learn a new technique. Learn a new ingredient. Learn a new dish. Mm-hmm. Um, well, they're doing something right because um, the scripts is turning the other network of the fine living uh-huh. network over to another cooking right now channel. we're going to have two whole totally devoted food and cooking channels mm-hmm. so the speculation is will one be more devoted to mm-hmm. the dump as we call the dump and stir mm-hmm. you know the content driven mm-hmm. instructional programs and right. one be purely entertainment food, right or are they going to mix it up together right that we'll right have to find wait and see and right. tune in and find out right, right? but um yeah i think that I think people do like, they get tired of the mindless mm-hmm. um, entertainment, I right. would imagine. Well, there's so much of it. It's it's like it gets to be lost with all the other kind of reality TV out there and competition shows. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's not what people want to go to the Food Network for necessarily. And in, with television in particular, it's all what what sells, what mm-hmm. the advertisers can can sell from. Mm-hmm. And so you know, we think it's about entertainment. We think it's about instruction. It's really about selling right product right of course again right back to how it was in the 40s nothing changed right. you know, it was like 
And we'll see what happens on the internet because that's where you can do a lot of um, instruction. You you can do a lot of little close-up video type mm-hmm. things. A lot of people are just doing their ho- own homegrown grassroots. You can look on YouTube. You can look on different people's blogs and websites. They're doing cooking instruction. You know, there are over... A hundred, I think, one hundred and seventy-five thousand food blogs on the internet, Amazing. and a lot of those do have video embedded mm-hmm. in them. Mm-hmm. And then you go on YouTube with the podcasts for for cooking instructions, mm-hmm. even the short ones. I was, I, I was amazed. I really was amazed how it's right. just grown. Right, it's something that's not certainly not going away. Right. It does tell you that it's it's not going away, and people sort of. I think people need some of everything. I think they need the instruction, and they need um, they need the fun too, the entertainment. Oh, I don't. Sure. I don't. I mean, they they might say they want the instruction, but they want it to be fun to look at too, and they want to have a fun personality to deliver the information. So, where do you think new media is taking? What do you think the new media is? It, it is the internet, or what, what? What form do you think we might expect to see? I, I just don't see the television thing going away, going anywhere. I think mm-hmm. it's just going to be added on, layered on, on the internet, whatever um, form that will take. If it's going to be indistinguishable from what we see on television, I don't know. I mean, that's what people are saying now in general about internet television is that people don't care what screen they're watching it on. As long as they get it. As long as they get it. And as long as, you know, with food and cooking, as long as maybe they're getting something useful from it. And look, like you said, we have a whole other channel coming out on cable just for cooking. So, And not only that that channel, but... Um, disc- uh, all a lot of the um, the cable channels and PBS. PBS still has right. uh, you know a day where they devote in, in, or at mm-hmm. least a couple of hours they devote to cooking right. programs only. Even right. some of them are buying the old programs, or as are some of the other networks. Discovery, a um, couple others, I forget. Um, buying some of the older programs mm-hmm. that were on the Food Network mm-hmm. and right. and running those. Right. Uh, so yeah, I mean, and the morning news. You can't watch a morning news program mm-hmm. without seeing a cooking segment mm-hmm, some mm-hmm. instructional cooking right, segment, right. So. and everybody in the field is involved you know i read a bio of a chef and it um invariably it says and he's working on a pilot for a, a cooking show <laughs> you know you see it all the time it's like you have to be out there you have to be representing yourself in all these different um media yeah in my other life i do media training for for people who do want to go on camera um mm-hmm. and kind of help them cook and talk at the same time. Mm. But it's a problem. I mean, there can only be so many emeralds or so many Marios, right. you know. Yeah, and, but it's, I'm hey, sure it's... Give yeah. it a shot because you don't know what's coming around the corner. That's right, know? that's right. Do your own show and just put it on YouTube. <laughs> I mean... People are. <laughs> they can, don't They right. don't need to be invited. They're doing it. <laughs> that's right. You too can be famous. <laughs> well, I, I just wish we could talk on and on because I could... Ooh, we could share some good stories about the, the early days of the Food Network. But it's uh, it is just wonderful that all of this that we've actually in our lifetime that we've seen this really come about and it's mm-hmm. just a, a real magical changing time mm-hmm. so kathleen i thank you for sharing your bit of research with us and uh and hope that we can hear more from you about something in the future great thank you so much Linda. and i want to thank you for tuning in to a taste of the past i'm linda palaccio you've been listening to the heritage radio network and we've been sponsored today by dixon's farms I want to thank dixon's farm stand meats um in Chelsea Market. And our program today is produced by Jack Inslee and our engineer, Nat Wiener. And please tune in again to A Taste of the Past. <laughs>